0: Look us, we're learning. <laughs> oh, we're so good at stuff. <laughs> yeah, we might so, as well call
1: this the episode where Brooke begs to be yelled at online.
0: I don't think so. Honestly, I feel like I'm in that position, so...
1: Asking to piss people off.
0: Okay, cyber me, Daddy.
1: All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <conditions> <laughs> stipulations. Magic drinks. <laughs> Interjecting conversation. I don't want to talk about it We're gonna have to talk about it You don't
0: want to want to talk about it We're gonna have to talk about it yeah. uh, the, I was just going to say that, you know, this is exceedingly persuasive, and I'm Mackenzie Brennan.
1: And I'm Brooke Rot. This is extremely persuasive. <laughs> I'm Brooke Rogers. Hey, yeah. What? <laughs> we're getting it's so good McK- We this. Are- it's Brennan. Mackenzie Brennan. We are 31 episodes in, and we're just now starting to get to the place where we are introducing ourselves up top. That's good.
0: Yeah, knee-jerk. Look at us go. Um, and you have nothing to offer me about Fugazi and Twitter,
1: so, No, uh- I know. I have nothing. Honestly, um, the only thing I can think of to intro this episode with, uh, that is, you know, going on, um, around us... Uh, in our personal lives or otherwise, mm-hmm. um, Ben Shapiro did a.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I taught my mom what WAP meant. I taught
0: my whole family what WAP meant on the Zoom call oh, this Lord weekend. Lord bless her. Um,
1: <laughs> there was, it was it, I think it was the only time when Twitter ever brought me true joy. It was a no. Video. You cannot
0: give him that. You cannot give Ben Shapiro. No, I'm serious.
1: <laughs> it was. I was laughing so hard. The, I wrote that dopamine hit for, like, 12 hours, and then everything was awful again, but it's this video of Ben Shapiro, um, he's, <laughs> he's reading the, the lyrics to WAP, Wapped. uh, if you have children near you, or in, you know, the general vicinity, or if you are a child, get off this in. podcast, why are you listening? Bring them out. But, um, yeah, so it's Ben Shapiro, no- noted, noted political commentator Ben Shapiro,
0: can we give him that he's designation. Reading,
1: he's reading the lyrics to WAP as as uh, someone might read um, aloud, you know, the sun also rises or Catcher in the Rye. So he's doing it in the most serious way because he's trying to make a point about. I he's don't know. To he's trying to, make, I mean, to he's trying to be like how
0: disgusting
1: in order to make it. Um, seem as debauched like, really as possible, stark. but yeah. the way that he sounds, he's like the, it's the, the video opens, and he's like, "There are whores in this." <laughs> <laughs> there like, go. There are whores in this house. There are whores in this house. There are whores in this house. There are really? whores in this house. And It's like Ira Glass NPR voice. <laughs> I want to set him repeatedly saying, "There are whores in this house." Um, just in the most like monotone, uh, like someone reading, uh, reading at, at a Christmas pageant, like some yeah. kind of like spoken word poetry at a Christmas pageant. Like, I want to set that as my ringtone. What Christmas pageants are you going
0: to? Oh, <laughs>
1: when I was growing up, we did spoken every word Christmas. Um, yeah, when I so we didn't really we didn't really do like commercial Christmas. We didn't really do gifts or like a tree I'm or anything not, like, until I was older. Catholic,
0: like
1: us. Yeah, but. Cause that, yeah, we just like so we we saw that as like uh... it was you know that's not real religious. Christmas. So it's true. We would but we go to like the Christmas services and I remember like there was always this like um, like spoken word poetry section of it. Did you not have this?
0: No, not at all. Yeah, where they like
1: read. I was in a Christmas Weird. pageant. I was married in a Christmas pageant. Um, oh no, yeah, you were one time were every when I was God like oh, I was probably nine. Did not did just not like the do real Mary. Well. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not for drama. Drama. Anything, anything you have to put me on stage and, like, have me act out something that's not for me. I'm not good at it. Um, I, I feel like... I being good at it, but okay. I think I'm just too... You know, I want it too bad. I want to be like, <laughs> <it's> too bad. <laughs> I get that. No, I also have that trait. Anyway. Uh,
0: speaking of um, families and the date, coming from my family, which celebrates death days as much or more than they celebrate birthdays... Happy death day to my Uncle Stuart, who, 32 years Cheers ago to today... Cheers to Uncle Stuart. Died. Cheers, yeah. Um, happy death day. Um, and in all seriousness, uh, like, died of HIV-AIDS, our last large-scale pandemic, and it was also handled very poorly by the president at the time, and he died in 1988, probably could have been his life could have been prolonged in all likelihood if money had been allocated to research and Reagan was not a denier of gay existence and
1: livelihood. So Yeah, if being gay wasn't politicized to the point where people yeah. were willing to let you die if you were gay, yeah. um, then a lot of people would still be alive. And that's so, just a fact. So here's
0: to handling pandemics well and uh, celebrating death s- dates. Honestly,
1: Stuart, that's...
0: Yeah, yeah, he's a good Uncle dude. Uncle Stewart.
1: Um, he was
0: buried in a pin that said, preserve culture,
1: kill a mime.
0: So, anyone's trying to dig that up.
1: Oh man, I love your family so much. Okay, uh, so we're sick. Um, This episode, yeah, this episode, I feel like I I feel very strongly about it because it's it's sort of um, there's been a lot of rhetoric a lot of online rhetoric about this back and forth and it's it's really pissing me off so we're gonna dive into it but senator kamala harris was chosen uh as the vice presidential uh pick for democratic nominee this uh, this caused a lot of reactions Uh, yeah we
0: had a lot of feelings about it collectively and i do want to underscore that twitter is not the real world i i it's not twitter is rough i don't love it
1: yeah, it's a wasteland um, out there. It's it's just like it's, it's a, just I,
0: little like digital sound bites of anger. I think, uh, I think it's 10. Liz
1: Brunig who calls Twitter an open air asylum, mm. which is true. Isn't the world an open air asylum? Uh, oh, that's poetic, because mm-hmm. Yeah, I Say could be for the Christmas in a nutshell. pageant. Okay, <laughs> um, and so, count myself the king of infinite space. <laughs> as soon as. As soon as the pick was announced, there was a lot of blowback. Uh, some of it was, in my opinion, legitimate criticism of Kamala's history of regressive policies as, as District Attorney of San Francisco and later AG of California. Attorney General. Oh, Attorney General, sorry. I, if you've listened to this podcast before, I, I hope you know, I know what AG means. But I know, I'll, yeah, I uh, But was it also is important for the the restrictions the of the role that I think do that we a little yeah, bit. That we so. pad yeah, that we've had out later. Um, but we'll get into legitimate criticism later. We want to talk both about um, the uh, the real concerns with Kamala and some of the um, the very predictable uh, oh, right wing blowback, um,
0: sexism and racism. Yeah, there, uh, some of the, at
1: the outset, some of the response was just blatantly sexist and racist um, rhetoric that you can expect from the usual glue huffing suspects.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that there are criticisms of her that are are legitimate the folks who are now going to reiterate their bullshit call of like well i'd vote for a woman just not that one it may be That'll legitimate be now yeah but at least like at the very least it's crying wolf because you've said yeah. it with everybody and you don't take
1: as close a microscope to anybody else no that's absolutely when they have true. a winner so um so and so just to just to like compare and contrast the you know the real concerns legitimate concerns with mm-hmm. uh the and birtherism and yes the real concern let's compare the real concerns which we'll get to <laughs> later with yeah, that'll the come next. just the shitstorm storm that happened on twitter as soon as it was announced which like again like you said twitter is just kind of this um uh this this Sort of, it's, it's like a, a soup. jerk. It's like, like a, yeah, it's like a, it's a soup full of um, different opinions and well, memes. Charitable. And um, <laughs> people who really wouldn't have any kind of platform otherwise, but they get. It's weirdly
0: amplified, yeah, uh, like,
1: megaphones, Very specific craves. And it's usually for voices. hatred,
0: and it's usually for picking
1: out. Because that's what where goes you right can it all.
0: Why hatred elsewhere. Yeah, to get more. Yeah.
1: I find Twitter to be very upsetting. It's very toxic. Um. The but so right away in those corners. Within like least. within like an hour of hm. the announcement that she was the pick, which we kind of knew for a long time, he, there yeah. was going to be the. Uh, so we've kind of known that it was probably going to be Kamala since um, for be a few Susan months. Rice. Really? I mean, yeah. she was 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 being kind of she was being um, she was being floated for a while. There was there were other there were other people national security like international
0: affairs. Yeah, sort of side to her. But then there was a really bad op ed that she wrote earlier in the
1: week, and people jumped on her. Yeah, Susan Rice doesn't have a great. I wouldn't have been happy with Susan Rice either, to be honest. Susan Rice, her history, her yeah, her history. Um, her stance on, on war and intervention. Yeah, Those, I'm happy with she, her qualifications at least. One hundred percent I mean, happy with her qualifications. She she is um, she's have some she is she has connections to Warhawk. If she's not a Warhawk herself, right? I mean, I think we're in a tough position with anybody, and it reminds
0: me of the moderators in oh god, I think it was actually Matt Lauer, which like wow, um, that's taken on a different color still in the wake of 2016 but in i think he was moderating or one of the moderators in one of the debates between hillary and trump and he was criticized for asking her legitimate foreign policy questions when the balls thrown to trump were such softballs and i think that there's such a challenge of relativism now and this is a point that i kind of want to take away from the whole episode And why I don't want to spend more than this episode really digging into Kamala or Biden's negatives right now. We could do it after the election more. But I think that when you have people, one of whom is very, very qualified, but maybe you disagree on the intricacies. And then you have one who's just like a goddamn mess with Mm. no qualifications. What do you do? Because you can't throw... These questions up here at the mess candidate because it's just it won't be coherent, even in a, like you won't even get them, it won't be yeah. a gotcha moment, it'll just be nonsense. And you can't yeah. throw the softball questions at the candidate up here because then it's just platitudes, it's it, or it's whatever they want it to be. So I think you're kind of even though I would never defend Matt Lauer and I would never defend somebody challenging Trump's opponent more than Trump. I, it is tough because with Susan Rice for example it's like yeah maybe there are these tiny differences in how we would apply the rules that we all know Yeah. but at least they're the rules that we all know and it's yeah. the, you know
1: political and there, differences there is, um, there is a lot of uh, the, the line with sort of centrist democrats has been we can't criticize or we shouldn't criticize Kamala or Biden too heavily because the alternative is so bad and therefore we should just get to the election and then from from then on we can criticize them i actually have a rebuttal to that but i want to wait until you guys you must wait until the end of the episode because i want to lay out my case first and then i want to explain why i why i at least disagree with if not why i understand why people are upset with that blue no matter who thinking uh, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait till the end of the episode to get to that because I I want to okay. explain um, I want to state my case first. But before we get to any of that, let's talk about the, um, the bullshit. The, the, yeah, let's talk about the vitriol that was like thrown at Kamala immediately and and break that down Cause, because because let's gotta give let's any woman credit in that off the top. Let's position. say yeah. this is a historic choice and I don't want to belittle yes. that. I don't want I don't want to minimize the fact that this picking Kamala. Harris as VP is a historic choice. She is the daughter of immigrants. She is a black woman. She is of South Asian descent. She she's is Indian,
0: right?
1: Yes, yeah, her mom is Indian. Descent. Indian. Um,
0: but uh, let, let me actually that, oh, say she's
1: through. of Indian descent because she's not Indian. She's American. That's right. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, of Indian descent. Um, she has uh, an incredible story, and I think that um, as has been pointed out, uh, she's a woman! I mean, that's a... She, and she's a woman. We
0: still haven't had somebody on the ticket make it to the White House, so if that happens now, um,
1: that would be wonderful. It's, it, any way you slice it, uh, just from a point of, um, from the perspective that we need more representation in politics, this is a historic choice. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that at all. The
0: thing that I would add it, at this, like, outset basics laying moment is that we all should remember what Vice President represents. I mean, We all know Joe Biden more from his time in the Senate than as vice president. And vice president is largely symbolic until or unless something happens to the president. So I think there, we should bear in mind that there's a limit to the policy decisions that she will impact, and thus a limit to where that's relevant, except for symbolism. But then with symbolism, right. I think you temper it with the symbolism of a woman of color, mm-hmm. a woman, a mixed-race black Indian woman. Like, There's all this stuff that plays yeah. into it, too, if we're just going to talk about the symbolism. And then, I mean, the last thing I'll put on it is... Think of how much analysis we did of Tim Kaine's past policymaking.
1: I think it's a, there's a little difference here, all, and this is why. Biden is um, barely coherent on the best of days. Uh, the he really does not. I mean, listen, he, we all saw him riding a bicycle. I think that he's. I think that he's physically doing okay. He's definitely physically. More fit than Trump is at this point. Well, I saw him um,
0: talking somewhere recently. Where I mean, yes, this is a low bar, but the where bar is he on actually, the floor
1: for Biden and Trump. But the bar is on the floor. Well,
0: no, because you gotta say it's like you can limbo under it for Biden. <laughs> because I did see him speak somewhere recently where it, it was like emotionally coherent too. And boy, I wish I could remember it. But it was something where it's like, okay, this is this is not a prepared remark. This is recent and it's off the cuff. And oh my god, what was it? But he was coherent and he
1: was making relevant policy points. So, it's like, why is this a conversation? And it, it I know. the conversation? It isn't about. The conversation we should be having is not one of, like, oh my well, god, got he, put a fucking sen- he put a sentence together. Saying. And yes, yeah, so I my know. point is that the yeah. vice president in this race actually Heartbeat does away. matter a lot because. I don't know if Biden would make it through, could serve four years as president. But I would I don't say the same of Trump.
0: Sure. I honestly,
1: sure,
0: I worry about him dying because then it'll be this whole martyrdom thing.
1: Not only would it be a martyrdom thing, but then we'd get Mike Pence, who we At have least, many concerns yeah. over him, and we over him put being president.
0: Everybody but, on a spectrum because the risks that Mike Pence would pose are so much greater than anybody on the Biden ticket with who they surround themselves with policy-wise and yet i still honestly when i've thought about it and i have i would prefer pence to trump because i think he at least is more play by the rules not an
1: autocrat who wants to overturn oh completely disagree i think if 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 mike pence became president tomorrow um we would see an executive order um
0: but the limits to, like, are still there. Trying to
1: criminalize abortion, like the next day. I think that, like the but you first can't thing he would do that by executive order. Like I, that. But, like that's like those that's like, things those that, are the moves he that he'd be trying to make. Like he would like yeah immediately he'd be trying, he be trying have... to defund Planned Parenthood. He'd immediately be trying to like
0: yeah. I think he would that, try, but he doesn't have the charisma and absolute blatant disrespect and brazenness that Trump has that allows him to do things like like suspending the Constitution and just getting rid of the post office piece by piece like i don't think he's that brazen i don't think he's that bold
1: oh i think he's so much more insidious I think that he would he would chip away at so many rights lgbt rights um women's Trump reproductive rights
0: does the same thing but i think that pence just we've seen pences before Pence would be a theocracy. I truly believe that. He I would think try. Like, he would certainly try. Because that the scares way that,
1: me much more. I, tr- yeah, they're, I think that like they're they are both authoritarians, mm-hmm. and I think that they're both dangerous. And I'm I but like, I honestly think that Trump's fixations are very different than Pence's, and I think mm-hmm. Pence's fixations scare me more. That's I what, that's agree with that piece. My opinion on yeah. That.
0: I think the effectiveness is what I worry about. But mm-hmm. yeah, we should remember that this all is on a spectrum of like who's a heartbeat away from the presidency on the Trump ticket,
1: mm-hmm. who's in the
0: presidency on the Trump ticket, and then
1: yeah. So the, and we're, this, we're talking a, about that all. So everything we're talking about in this episode is within, the, within that context, in that framework yeah. of um we know who they're running against. That to me does not make them immune. Uh, yeah to us at least discussing why certain communities are upset with this pick. I'm not trying to do a, like, a contrarian point of view with this. What we're going to talk about this episode with respect to Kamala is her history with criminal justice reform and her history with sex work. I need to talk about this in an episode because I have advocated for sex worker rights before. We both have on this podcast. And for me, it's it's not a matter of being edgy. It's a matter of being consistent. And it's a matter of discussing this... Because I think that the community is sort of getting swept under the rug right now with with. And this we can't and ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, and they're being told they're being told to kind of shut up and sit down, and I don't like. And so we're gonna discuss this within the framework of understanding what the election looks like, but we're yeah. gonna talk about it. So and after we do this episode, this won't
0: be something that we spend a whole lot of time on before the election, and obviously it's gonna come up a lot faster than any of us would like. Yeah. But I think that we both want to get some things out um, air the grievances but then at least while people are making up their minds dedicate that relative energy elsewhere
1: yes I will still call walls and strikes as I see them to oh, an sure, extent sure. but we won't we won't have an episode like this that focuses on one particular issue as much as I felt but I felt this needed to be sure, said yeah. so there, there will be other future episodes possibly where um, Mackenzie may not feel comfortable talking about certain things I will maybe mention them while they come up, but we are not going to focus whole episodes like this on this issue again. uh, I don't feel it's
0: constructive to spend energy down the line. And also we're going to hit positives about her in this one, specifically the way that I think you and I both became acquainted with her, which was the Kavanaugh hearings.
1: No, absolutely. So real quick, I want to talk about um, the the rights venom toward her uh, in the very quickly in the the 24 hours after um, after the the choice was announced. Um, the mm-hmm. first thing that came up that I saw that got really disgusting really quickly was focused on her relationship with former San Francisco mayor and State Assembly Speaker Willie Brown. Uh, they dated between 1994 and 1995. A lot of the rhetoric surrounding their relationship claimed that he was married at the time, Um, he had been estranged from his wife for over 10 years, so they were not still together. Um, even if they had been, it's really funny to me to see, uh, Republicans pretend they care about people's marriages when Trump, honestly um, is a serial cheater.
0: Oh yeah. It's always every, like every marriage is that couple's business. Mm -hmm. And I obviously have a horse in that race. Um, like don't judge not lest you be judged everybody has a different conception of it no pun intended but yeah i mean i think that we would be harder pressed to find a president in history bipartisan who didn't do something maybe jimmy carter Jimmy Carter probably didn't a do anything. One. Jimmy Carter
1: was a good one, yeah. Yeah. But not only that, but it's like the, just the double HW standard maybe. of them uh, yes. slut. Sh- and I, I use slut shaming and meaning that like they they the the memes that I saw and the it's tweets like that I saw your that way night. To the top. That's what yeah, they the, were basically implying that she slept her way to the top. Um, it's so disgusting. It's blatantly misogynistic, and it comes from a place of like women can't work their way to the top. So, if especially if they're an attractive woman, they must mm-hmm. have slept their way to the top. And yes. the the re- the reason that they use is that um, when she was with uh, Mayor Willie Brown, former Mayor Willie Brown, uh, she was she was uh, he appointed her to two political posts. It was the um, California Unemployment Insurance Appeals Board, and then and then the Medical That's Assistance Commission. That's a hot seat, right? <laughs> yeah, listen. She was more than qualified for these positions, and the rest of her career, she did by Speaks herself. To that. Right. I, the, I mean, yeah. The fact that like the fact that she was appointed to these two positions after she had after they had dated means nothing to me. I have n- I this like f- personally, from my opinion, I don't care at all. Main, it, yeah, it means nothing. It,
0: it actively upsets me because uh, honestly, these are often the same men who are in response to like the Me Too movement at large. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. How are people gonna flirt at work? Sometimes, you know, you
1: meet your spouse at work. So, what are you gonna do? Oh no, it, it's absolute double standard. Yeah. And it, it it all comes from. I mean, let's let's, you know what call, it, let's call, it call it what it, what is. it is. It's misogyny. Yes. It's this idea that women cannot earn anything by themselves and that um, they have to be sexless, um, platonic. But that then you're ugly. Then yeah, you're
0: you're a dyke.
1: It in, if you, with like a
0: negative connotation.
1: If yeah, if you if you are. A woman then you have to be there is no winning because either either you're too yeah. sexy and you've mm-hmm. hooked up with people and you have a past or and you're your cold you a cold frigid bitch like every every woman knows this we all yes. do like this is just so to me this like does not hold up at all she was put in these two positions that again um ultimately well not they her may have been initial positions. positions that she that like she had in her career she, the rest of her career she she got because she is Ambitious, mm-hmm. and I use that word she with the utmost respect yeah. and the utmost like I, I admire her for doing. I am uh, fucking, she's I, am an, I am an ambitious woman. You're an ambitious woman. She's an ambitious woman who did a lot of work and got herself into positions. And that's she's that's, younger than
0: my mom, like, and she is she's a senator and in a position to be the vice president of the United States. And
1: yeah, as ambitious women, like, hardworking, damn. smart ambitious and that's just and I actually saw a lot of rhetoric that said like that a lot of people didn't like the fact that that she's called ambitious and men aren't and while I understand that I think that like we should actually um in my opinion it's actually positive when women are Mm -hmm. called ambitious and we should we should we should uh shed a positive light on that and and say like yes it is actually very good when women are ambitious and they should be and that's good
0: what's the negativity is it kind of the the idea idea of like, like calling black people eloquent like, if the assumption more,
1: is Yeah, the the negativity around it is uh this idea that like women being ambitious are bad is a bad thing and like when men want things it's not considered ambitious, ambitious it's just considered okay. that they that, but you got to
0: scrap harder as a yeah, woman and absolutely. it's not encouraged. You I don't know. We have to anyway, work harder yeah. to get the same things.
1: Absolutely. Uh, the next thing, and, and especially as a woman of color, we should note that she oh my gosh, had yeah. a lot a lot working against her. And we're
0: going back a, a couple decades in time too, so mm-hmm. all these
1: factors she together, had an and she was fine. younger. Yeah. Um, the second the second really disgusting uh, argument against her that sprung up right away, which is totally predictable. Oh uh, was birthism. So heard it this come in from around the corner, it was wearing tap shoes. It, uh, like, of course the of course you put a person of color... You put, a, you put a black American on the ticket. And immediately the response is that... Because if
0: you're brown, they, you don't... You're not
1: American. You you can't be a citizen. That's insane. And this is... This is just... This is a little, little mini soapbox I'm gonna get on. Because it's just... It, this Do actually it. really, really pisses me off.
0: I hate that so, the, the prophecy fulfilled itself. It's so fucking gross. Uh,
1: Kamala's uh, mother is from India. Her father is from Jamaica. Um... They both moved here, I believe, uh, to the U.S. Uh, I think they met in grad school, or they moved around the time they went Wasn't to grad it, like, school. a Berkeley protest sort of thing? Yeah, it was actually really meek, cute but, yeah. Um, so, this is just, like, so predictable. Kids of immigrants always hear this bullshit, especially if their parents are people of color. If you're the child of an immigrant, there's always, like, there's always some loser who couldn't point out Iowa on a map. Who suddenly becomes an immigration mm-hmm. law expert and wants to debate mm-hmm. you on naturalization even though his own great-grandparents were probably undocumented spoonmongers from poland who came through mexico before 1891 offering? and didn't speak english in their lifetimes but like this guy is convinced you're not real- a real american and he wants you to prove your bona fides to him even though he thinks omaha is a state like there's this is always a- it's always the same archetype of this person who like has this idea of what like a quote-unquote real american is and they want you to prove and it's a white man it's always a white man and it's always like someone with the intellectual capacity of a beanbag chair. And they want you to you with to the prove bean in it. God damn it. <laughs> they want you to prove that you're a real American. And like every child of immigrants has to deal with this. It's absolute bullshit. It's like And every person it, of color it's, yeah, Especially like, like yes, you could it, be here for generations operating. on generations. Because then
0: I mean, Obama did have his dad, but that he grew up in Hawaii and you know, his mom was a citizen. It's, it's just that you don't like brown people. And then if you trace that back to its origin, it's like, well, what? Your ancestors brought them
1: here. So, what do you want? Well, and your ancestors were immigrants, too, you, like, stick. Oh, dipstick. yeah, either that or, it's this, sure. It's just it's this idea, and they were probably undocumented because our immigration law It was no less sense. stringent. And or it, like it targeted wealthy. different countries.
0: Like, it had yeah. caps on Italians or Irish or later
1: Chinese and Japanese. Like, No. No, no, yeah, no, no. Honestly, no, like especially no. like, first generation Americans, always get this, and it's just. And it, I think what bothers me more than anything, it, for, and I should caveat that, like first generation Americans who's who have like or people of color or have parents or people of color, like they they and always get this the worst. Often. It's always this othering. They always have to prove themselves by like yep. running through the gauntlet for just like just. Some and for douchebag. what? For what fucking reward, either? Right. Like, what do they? What do they get at the end of this? They get to prove that they're that like that they are what yeah, they are. I was, like, is, yeah, yeah, I was born in the United States. Now, do you respect me? No, because this person no, is just like not about dehumanizing that. them. It's yeah. never been about that. And so there's this this line of we thinking should talk about birthright me.
0: citizenship at some point because that that's a conversation that is weird and nuanced and I would like to learn more about.
1: Um, no, absolutely, and it's been but, questioned but, here. My point with this is like, this isn't new or clever or creative. Kamala shouldn't have to deal with this. Neither should any other kids with immigrant parents. It's, it's this its this sickness in our country that is pushed by people who just like, again, just like roadkill brains. And that's all I have to say about that. Anyways. And it's
0: the same racism that undergirds a lot of the the Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. the issues that they're targeting. Cause it, it, I mean, at the root of it, it's racism. And no, absolutely. Uh, and we should also note that Trump championed birtherism with Obama, that even as a non-politician outsider at the time, he was one of oh, the yeah. he, originators he his of ride that, that right quote-unquote um, controversy with Obama. his supporters are Show now following his lead
1: with Kamala. That's what mm-hmm. this is. Um, yeah, even if
0: he doesn't expressly endorse it. But, of course, with everything of this yeah. ilk, he doesn't disavow it. But like, so. yeah, just,
1: like, children of immigrants don't owe you anything. They don't have to prove no. their Americanism, and it's it's and who's your ridiculous from? that mm-hmm. every time we talk about this in the public in the public center, like that kids of the immigrants are put through on... this over and over again. Right, right? The, You're the onus on the is on them to prove their Americanism instead of just it just being assumed because they're on the defense. affordable yeah. people make them prove it yeah it makes it directs the conversation
0: and it like it frames it in a way that they're on the defensive when there's no basis and i honestly think that applies to a lot of the rights bullying tactics because when you come out of left field to turn a phrase with an accusation then you either have to confront it or not yeah and then if you don't then it's kind of assumed. Then, to it be true then it's to assumed you're that you're handing yeah. over the
1: battle. So you, it's like exhausting. You have to continue right. to have this conversation and then you're over fighting and over on that again. Level. And then it's like, even if it's not, even if it's not a like blatant, aggressive anti-immigration imm- immigrant rhetoric, it's like it's, it's insidious. insidious. It's like microaggress, you know, whatever microaggressions. It's yeah. like it's like people making comments about, just like oh, hair so texture. Yeah, you being... Yeah, it's like it's skin color or mm-hmm. hair texture. That like, looks the way unprofessional. You speak or mm-hmm. yeah, or it's just like. Just assumed that you are going to be a certain way because your parents are immigrants. Okay, okay, I just, okay. Now I started. Anyways, God, uh, the last um, thing
0: that I'll say to crown that is the a paraphrasing of the Mark Twain quote that's like, "Don't argue with stupid because they'll drag you down to their level and win by experience."
1: <laughs> yes. So very true. Um, with that, go forth. Yeah. So just uh, the last thing I would say: um, the right yeah. is also calling her a socialist. Which is laughable. Her her policies are like barely left of center, especially globally. If you look at like, if you look at how we consider leftism, on you know, and how we consider progressivism globally, um, anyone in America is like pretty just left of center. Kamala Harris and Biden are set are their centrists. They're like yeah, th- Kamala is probably more progressive than a lot of people. Uh, with her with her, specifically with certain policies she has, maybe more progressive than you know, Klobuchar or. Mayor Pete, any or, of those uh, people? What's your name,
0: Tulsi? Oh God, a legitimate uh, candidate. You can't and, bring up
1: Tulsi because I'm on my new um, I'm on my new thing, which is that b- people we we can no longer be horny for politicians. Society <laughs> has surpassed the need to be horny for politicians, and you can't bring you up can't Tulsi because I had a crush on her, and that, that look makes me look bad. Fundamental. So. Mm, from now yeah. on, Fair we are all we all have to decide as a group, as a country. We are moving forward. Sex strike. And we are moving forward mm-hmm. and we are moving away from thinking politicians are hot. It's disgusting. Stop it. See, that is I the feel one key really shaming that I have for you.
0: Because um, Joe Kennedy, the Massachusetts one, not the senator.
1: Oh my god. I
0: used to be like, I would sit on you, but now there's this Joe whole Kennedy. Ed Markey thing. You had a crush on Joe because Kennedy, because Kennedy the third. I got this thing with Jackie, and then I just all oh, the yeah. Mackenzie.
1: That is, I honestly, I, I don't think I've ever said that to the C4. That's morally wrong. <laughs> that's morally... Being, being well, attracted to Joe Kennedy III. I know it. I know it now. You he's know what? He's so wet. Why is he so you wet all the time?
0: Because he's a Kennedy and they're all broken. <laughs> broken and sweaty.
1: I can't believe you had a crush on Joe Kennedy the third. That's so upsetting. He's so slippery.
0: He's like a I little fowl I, I wish I knew in person. Oh, God.
1: Ugh.
0: Treat him and street him. That's what i do.
1: You don't what? have to stick
0: around. For, I said treat them and street them. Oh. So I, I don't know what I I wouldn't that... marry the policies, but uh. I'd treat him. I'd treat that
1: slippery I, bit. I am I am actually physically just... <laughs> My body is rejecting everything you're saying right now. Oh.
0: Oh. Okay. Well, okay, so fine. Right, we won't on. compete for him. Whatever. Yeah, it's you, great. Can, it's you Good can have, for us. You could have all. Six I'll distract him from the Ed Markey race because of don't Joe like that. Joe Kennedy three. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to my friend Maggie for breaking that down. Um, oh, Ed Markey. Matt Ed Markey. Ma- 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 I love I love flawed. Ed Markey. I'm gonna I'm gonna get that accent. Yeah, that's my. Ed Mar- um, I can't do it. White whale. Okay. I anyways, you. Um, I mean, we, have we haven't even gotten to the main
1: subject that we're talking about. This Come Okay, so
0: now that this is where well, it's this is going to be a two-parter. Anyways, we're going to yeah, do more we're on, dive, on sex workers. Di- so yeah, we actually we'll next time.
1: Yes, we're gonna. So we're gonna mention sesta Fasta briefly here, but we're gonna dive into it more deeply next time. Um, okay, but, but let's get into this. So if you if you follow any sex workers on Twitter or Instagram or you know any in your personal life, if you don't, you should get on that. Or maybe um, you do. But mm-hmm. if you, oh yeah, you ask people because they may be. Um, but if you if you have any sex workers in your life via social media or if you read any sex workers uh, writings or anything like that, you know that a lot of people in the sex work community were very upset by the pick. And I feel like it hasn't really been discussed enough why
0: they were upset by the being
1: chosen. Check in with. Uh, yeah, we try to we try to community. make sure that that we. I feel like they're so... Sex sex workers just don't get enough of a platform anywhere. It's
0: such a weird... I think it's a weird intersection of of moral shaming and also there's like a sexism and homophobia that comes into play too Mm -hmm. that somehow it allows both sides of the aisle to isolate them.
1: Yeah, it's a mix of Pearsonism, which Mm -hmm. is so deeply American, (laughs) and misogyny, which is... (laughs) It's deeply deeply every, human, everyone, yeah. yeah, and and I feel like there's also this um, this idea of this the very deep seated hatred of women owning their sexuality and being able to monetizing um, it. Yeah. Not that there there are many uh, men and non binary people who are sex workers, and I don't mean to yeah, uh, dismiss that, I, but I, it you know it's people it's called the oldest profession because because women have been engaged in sex work for centuries. In a lot of ways,
0: it is the only way
1: to get power in a system that is. So, working against you so yeah. aggressively, yeah. So we always try to consider that and keep that in mind when we're talking about issues. And so we mm. would be remiss if we did not talk about that now. So give a shout out up top to one of
0: my best friends in the world, Allie, who is a sex worker, and you should check sweetheart. her out. Sweetheart, um, she's also doing a lot of sex education stuff on yes. Instagram. We should get her, like, actual website because she has a different name.
1: Yeah. Our um, our, one, our good friend Allie, who is an angel and um, just a force of nature and a mm-hmm. light, uh, her, she does sex education stuff on Instagram. You can follow her at with uh, X-A-N-D-R-A-D-Z-W on Instagram, and you should because even if you're not interested in sex education, which you should be, she's just a fun person to follow. Saved she's my delightful. life. She's delightful. I would um, say
0: that of both you and Ellie. Just wonderful friends, wonderful people. And I know that she, this will come up later, but um, used to advertise with Backpage. And she gave me the gonna rates. Which we're going to talk about a lot today. Yeah, we're going to talk about a lot. And this is, uh, I'm jumping from Kamala, but just to say it while it's in my head. When she told me the rates that she used to use on Backpage versus what she has to use now, it was exponential. It was something like $3 to $300. Yeah. It's for incredible
1: advertising. the difference in how, yeah. how much it affected. So so again, why is the sex work community angry with uh, this pick? Kamala has had a history of being anti-sex work. That's just straight up what the, the facts are. In 2008, as d- district attorney uh, of San Francisco, she was a vocal opponent of Prop K, which was a ballot measure intended to decriminalize prostitution in that city. She referred to Prop K as, quote unquote, completely ridiculous, and she argued that it rolled out, and I'm going to use a word here that I do not use otherwise, a welcome mat for pimps and prostitutes to come into San Francisco. Uh, We do not like that. Um, She also waged a war on Backpage.com as attorney general. Uh, Backpage, if you don't know, it was essentially a classified site where full-service sex workers could self-advertise and vet potential clients more safely. Track them. like you can see, then tra- tra- yeah. who's hiring you. So it's much it's much better than um, anonymous clientele because you can actually see who you're working with. Yeah. Um, which is much makes it much safer. So I'm reading from a Rolling Stone article here. In 2016, she filed numerous charges against the owners of the site, Backpage including money laundering, pimping, and conspiracy to commit pimping. Her argument was that it was a hub for sex trafficking, even though the site was more often used by escorts during consensual sex work. That so, Yeah, that was the... Uh, and, then that, and honestly, we'll, we'll reference this later. Um, a lot of times, anti-sex work policy is packaged as anti-trafficking policy, and the reason they do that is because it's a lot easier to sell anti-sex trafficking than get into the moral stickiness of... Uh, removing sex workers agency via these laws real quickly kens is going to explain what a district attorney does uh and what an ag of a state does and what powers they have in those roles. yeah
0: like kind of what they can and can't do because i think that's a challenge with the trafficking bit too that there's there are these difficult law enforcement things because there is a, a need to do anti-trafficking stuff And there's probably a legitimacy—I was actually reading, in preparation for this, a New York Law Journal article about what certain elements of SESTA-FOSTA kind of worked with on the state level. And one was the Child Victims Act, which lengthened the statute of limitations so that people could at least recover civilly and often criminally from their abusers. So it's difficult to—especially with the way that we have statutes now and the way that we use law enforcement now and the carceral system— Um, And honestly, you kind of opened my eyes to this with our first conversation on Kamala, which was way back in the primaries, like a year ago, a brighter time. We were naive little
1: babies then. We are soft, naive, little wide-eyed babies then. I know. Now we're hardened, old hags.
0: You and I kind of ended the conversation with saying that we had the same end goal, and the problems with Kamala in both of her law enforcement-adjacent roles was more a problem with the system at large and that we use carceral punishment and that is kind of the weapon that we have to combat a lot of these issues. And I think that ties into, yes, trafficking is a problem and abuse of children and honestly abuse of sex workers and victimization of sex workers, that's a problem too. What we should do, in my opinion, is decriminalize across the board and regulate it and allow it to be self-regulated in a safe way so that we... Isolate the abusers from The workers Mm. and Can identify those two things But so this kind of ties into So the attorney general Is the state's lead Prosecutor district attorney is A city's lead prosecutor So you're Limited in both of those roles So when she was DA it was of San Francisco Um, And then obviously AG is the whole state you're limited To prosecuting Crimes Um, there are certain things that you have to do. And the example that I think I've used of this in the past was, so I know I tell this all the time, but I'm very proud of him. My judge was the first black DA in New York State. And when he was DA, he was anti-death penalty. Um, And keep in mind, these are elected positions. So you also have to kind of be lobbying for public support. And you're a little bit damned on both sides there. Because my judge, if you look up his Wikipedia page, it's like, uh, he's famous for not prosecuting this crime and not prosecuting this crime and so it's like that's the best that you can do if you're taking a stance as a prosecutor but you can take a stance and, and she probably could have done better with that in a lot of things so my judge um, got into a jurisdictional conflict with Governor Pataki of New York because my judge is anti-death penalty, didn't want to bring a death penalty um, against somebody who had shot a cop I think the governor then took the case away from my judge and my judge sued him for jurisdiction I think the governor gave it to the attorney general so it's kind of a similar jurisdictional issue um in New York the governor and attorney general won and so they brought the death penalty I don't know if he ended up getting executed but there's this weird jurisdictional thing where cases can be taken from you if you don't do the carceral thing yeah um And then, obviously, you're looking towards the next election. Things that they can't change, um, sentencing brackets, you can make recommendations, and that definitely, um, you hear from a lot of public defenders that prosecutors have more power in some circumstances than the judge, but ultimately it's the judge who sentences. You can't fund or propose alternative sentences or systems. So when you think about a lot of the defund the police efforts, Mm -hmm. that's got to come from a legislative end so, as the DA or AG, you can't be like, "We did social work instead." Uh, you're you're kind of just pigeonholed into the cases yeah. themselves, and maybe what you say rhetorically, but then that can't be inconsistent with what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: and then you can't officially decriminalize anything because, again, that's legislative. So that's laying out our limits of where we're working. Yeah. And kind of the fact that you take. If you're going to be a progressive prosecutor, and I know you and I talked about this in our first Kamala episode, you took issue with progressive Mm prosecutor. I think she's a progressive prosecutor. So, like, both of us are, yeah, Yeah. there's an intersection there, and you, to be a progressive prosecutor, I think you kind of take shit on either side. And we're seeing that a little bit already with Kamala, because you have the right calling her to Progressive and the left calling her too regressive. Yeah. So it, it's a difficult position with our law enforcement system right now.
1: And I think what I will say about that is that the majority of the left, anything left of Biden or Kamala, considers her a regressive uh, prosecutor. There are progressive prosecutors. Again, it's kind of a lose-lose situation for them. Uh, but you can you can be yeah. you can choose not to impose harsh penalty. You can choose not to support policies that impose harsher penalties, which she did with truancy law and uh, and other things like that, which is why I consider her to be more aggressive.
0: And I think it's interesting to watch how folks
1: walk that line. And when I was looking
0: at at the case that my judge was involved in versus that, the kind of reputation that Kamala has, it's an example of like, oh, you can do a little bit more. Um, it's a one-time you make headlines and hopefully win the next election sort of thing. Like I don't think my judge could have done that all the time in that position. But yeah, there there are certain things where you put yourself out
1: there, and then and make choices that you hope will change, yeah, uh, if not the system, then individual cases.
0: The other thing that I'll say is is my other coworker was an assistant district attorney, so somebody who works on these cases, and she's talked about specifically she did sex crimes. And the difficulty, how you make recommendations for the DA under the same sex crime law, and this is, it gets back to what we're saying about if the law itself is the same law talking about trafficking and consensual sex work and the hirers and the hirees, it's really, it is not a one-size-fits-all sort of statute, but you have to make it work. So she would see like one abusive pimp come in all the time. Yeah. And then all these different younger women who were sex workers, and technically they're subject to the same statutes, but you have to figure out how to recommend sentences for yeah. them differently. And that's why so it's, it's so
1: important, and we will we will talk later about uh, what we think the solutions are here, but that's why it's so important uh, to A, discuss total decriminalization of sex work, because once you actually legitimize sex work as work, which it is, uh, it, it allows a lot more protection under the law. Yeah and regulate it. consideration and distinction between um trafficking and sex work and, and yeah. in my for the purposes of this podcast and I think there there are no sex workers who are trafficking victims. There are victims of trafficking and there are sex workers who do consensual sex work. If you are a victim of trafficking like or distinction of trafficking. we're making Rhetorically, That's right. yeah. Rhetorically, yeah, because this actually is something that comes up uh, that angers a lot of sex workers, is that there are either people who are doing non-consensual sex work, who are being exploited, who are um, not deciding that this is something they want to do, and, and, and it is not their choice, and they have no agency because they are victims of sex trafficking, or there are sex workers who, they are adults who are doing consensual sex work. Sure. And those are very different, and it's... If, we, if we understood that under the law, then... Actual consensual sex workers would have a lot more protection and so would and you victims could do of sex trafficking
0: honestly without decry I mean ideally decriminalized, but you couldn't mm-hmm. make that distinction without Going that far if you need to make a compromise step like it, it is an easy distinction But it's one you don't hear a lot to the point that when you said that I was like, oh is this what you mean and it, it reminds me of Another rhetorical difference that I heard recently that it's easier to understand but another one that I didn't think about until I heard it which was like underage women yeah. That's not a thing. It's girls. It's yep. children. They, it's not a woman with agency and wiles and, yep. you know, but that's another thing that you hear a lot.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it, it is it's, interesting the way that we, as a culture, use turns of phrase and certain terminology to protect certain people. Without even thinking it. And then to to we demonize get certain people. Uh-huh. Yeah, whereas, like, there are situations in which you will say, a, a, this police officer had sex with a, an underage woman in the back of his mm. squad car. No, he raped a girl he raped a child. Yeah, but we use this term this terminology in order those to two protect, sound. yeah, in order to protect certain people, certain classes, or we we turn that on its head to demonize other groups of people, usually mm-hmm. women, minorities, the you know, working class.
0: Even police officer had sex with, and that's often mm-hmm. how you Versus see those rapes. laws yeah. phrased. It's like, no, you, you, somebody's yeah. in your custody. You control whether they leave. Uh-uh.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so just to get into oh, – yeah, and also to, well, a comment on what you said before. We say this a lot on this podcast, but um, when the only tool you have is punitive um, – so when, when, the only, when the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. When the only tool you have is punitive or carceral – um, you're going to address every problem with that quote-unquote solution. And so yeah. uh, one of the problems that we have with our culture in the United States is that we really – and this is, like, honestly, I, I have to give props to my roommate Sarah 100% because, like, she is the one who, like, made me start thinking about this kind of thing. Um, but the it is, like, we really do not look for or use solutions that are not carceral in yeah. our country. We've talked about this so many times that what we do with people – is um we we leave people out on their own to survive or die by themselves in our in our culture. We are so individualist. We have gotten so far from any sense of community or responsibility for others. So we and leave people out to do just to dry and we and we disenfranchise them at every opportunity. After they've served their sentence. Yeah. Not only not only criminals, but every we really like we Oh yeah. Just you have to in, earn it kind of that there, mentality. Yeah. There are so many like if you look at this is getting a class up, but like, if you look at like the working class in our country is so disenfranchised from the very from the time they're born and then and we just and we leave we leave people out to fend for themselves and then when they start um you know when when they start running into problems with uh with the law or you know with um any any time that they start to becoming for like themselves yeah yeah to provide for themselves or any anytime they start becoming a quote unquote problem to our society we throw them away, and we throw away the key, and we they get they get chewed up and spit out by our carceral system, and then it's they lose their voting rights. rights. They it's, lose, um, you know, their ability to get a job in a lot of situations. They are marked from then on, and it just it completely ruins lives. And it's because we really don't we don't have any concept of like looking for solutions at yeah. the root. Of the problem.
0: Right, um, and I would say that applies to criticisms of her in general, and honestly, this is a problem that I've had with the whole like ACAB, like all cops are bastards sort of thing. That a lot of people, and, and this is controversial, this is where I'm gonna f- think that I'm probably gonna isolate myself from some folks, but I do think when you're painting cogs in a machine that's broken with such a broad brush um you do a lot of people a disservice and you kind of impute more intention negative intention to individuals and it seems not constructive because it's very similar to me even though employment is a choice um Uh and certainly running for office is a choice uh, Uh it's a little bit closer to the idea of um everybody who is X is blank and that is never a mentality that I think serves us well or that we we should encourage just swinging from one side to the other and I'll say that I think of my court officer who passed away last year and I think I mentioned this the last time we talked about Kamala who was a black woman who just was the sweetest, hardest worker and when I hear like all cops are bastards, I don't think she was and I don't think that everybody who is kind of at the mercy of the system that they work in is responsible for it. And obviously when you're at a higher level, which Kamala was, you there's a proportional, like, you get more responsibility to do something. But I do think that your hands are tied a little bit when you're DA or AG because unless you both advocate for and institute an overhaul of the carceral system, which is, mm-hmm. we're looking at it now on a larger scale, and it, it it's daunting for a lot of people to make that happen. Um, then you're kind of, you work with what you're given, and you try to do the best that you can. And I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it, to keep in mind, hands are tied to some extent.
1: I think it's much more constructive to understand that our system is... I don't even like the term broken, because I think that, like, it in, many it's, in many ways... In many ways... But in many ways, the system is operating as it's... As it was intended. <laughs> as intended. Um, sure, But I feel yeah. like this... The, the carceral system in our country, the criminal system in our country, um, it, it... The consequences of uh, of that system are... They, they... It ruins lives. And it yeah, and dehumanizes think, anyone about, who comes in right. contact with it. Talk and about it,
0: both is, is the way to yeah. do it. And because... Even with,
1: even with police, like, um... I think that the the way that we approach policing in our country it dehumanizes um, it dehumanizes the people that police interact with and it dehumanizes yeah. police. I really think it does. I, I, that, I like, agree
0: with you on. I agree with you on all fronts, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think that what it comes down to, in a practical sense, at least in this context, is what is everybody's responsibility. Mhm. And so. But I don't think there's an answer. I don't yeah. think that, like, you and I are going to come out of this conversation being like, this is what she should have done, and this is what we all should do going forward. Yeah. But thinking yeah. about, like, in the 90s, what is a black woman's responsibility getting into the chief um, law enforcement legal role yeah. in a well, state? Well, this was...
1: The the problems that I have with Kamala... And the sex work is were, great. Like, yeah, you know, I have a problem that, with that, too. Yeah, and I think... Uh, Noted. You know, I understand where you're coming from with that. At the same time, um, the problems that I have with her started arising. You know, again, like when she opposed Prop K because she said it would roll out the carpet for uh, for pimps and prostitutes to come to San Francisco. That was 2008. Um, A lot of her uh, anti-legalization of marijuana when she was kind of like laughing at the prospect of legalizing marijuana in California. Uh, I believe that was around 2010. I might be a little off with that. Okay. Um, so a lot recent of her later thing, yeah. really negative, uh, you know, when she was uh, supporting um, harsher punishment for parents of truant kids and things like that. Like, that, those were all in like 2000s, 2010. So, and like, the yes, different time. Yeah, right. The truth is, sure.
0: you and I are on different pages to some extent because.
1: Uh, we, when we discussed this before and what we what we will just repeat now is that um yeah Mackenzie believes that she had a, an obligation to the children that she uh yeah that were that lived in her city um to... i think i'm more
0: child i'm very like fixated on the child and you're more right. thinking about like, i think the problem is not the these, system yeah
1: like, i think that the, the, right, the solution think. the solution to the problem of truant children is not to yeah. um uh Ha- force their parents to interact with her, or the carceral system. And I
0: agree with that in an ideal world too. Like, I think yeah. that we're, we're on similar pages, but in terms of how damn. Idealism it is for versus her. practicality, sure. how sure, things, sure.
1: Yeah, I, I think I will forever, again, like, because it's Muller it's and Scully, baby. I always yeah. get the wide eyed idealist. I think that you are much more practical in, in, in a lot of senses. But, um. We gotta so do it. Just moving on a little bit, we talked about, uh, the, yeah, the back page. Um, she. Filed charges against the owners of the site. Again, her um, her reasoning of that was that there was trafficking happening on the site. Um, I will note that in 2016, th- this this is where I kind of get into this. Like, I, I have a problem with um. So let me let me let me break into this this moment. Um, mm-hmm. With both with uh, a lot of the anti Backpage uh, acts, a lot of the uh, the movement against places like Backpage. Anywhere where uh sex workers were advertising and with uh Sesta Fosta, which we will get in a little bit in this episode and then a lot more later. Yeah. But um a lot of the I mentioned this before, but a lot of the um the argument for uh shutting these sites down and um you know, really going hard in the paint against uh places like Backpage. A lot of sex work policy is packaged as anti-sex trafficking work because it's much easier to sway politicians and their voters on that than get into sticky, sticky conversations about sex worker rights and legislating morality. Um, politicians will focus on a minority of sex trafficking victims in order to sell policy that hurts sex workers, consensual adult sex workers, and uh, pushes actual sex trafficking further into the darkest corners of the Internet. Um, mm. There's a, a piece that Elizabeth Nolan Brown, who um, she writes a lot of really great uh stuff about sex worker rights and how they intersect with anti-sex trafficking policy um to this piece from uh 2019 andrew yang is wrong about prostitution i'm hmm. um, just reading this quote uh sex worker activists argue with both a lot of data and a lot of personal experience on their side that relegating prostitution to the black market only puts the people involved in more danger and allows more abuses to be perpetrated against them the only way they can per- the only way to truly protect sex workers and cut down on coercive, forced, or underage prostitution, sex trafficking, is "right," quote unquote, rights, not rescue, as one popular mm. rallying cry goes. So the the uh, that's a great the argument. It. Oh no, absolutely. It's it, it, it's kind of succinct. Um, the argument that sex workers make when it comes to um, these these policies is that instead of making um, laws that hurt. Uh, that, that mostly hurt consensual adult sex workers. Um, in order to help um, small groups of sex trafficking victims who obviously do need to be helped, um, is to uh, start giving people who work in, uh, in in sex work more rights and more um, humanity and more agency and more uh, more power under the law and more and acknowledgement then a- under the regulatory law. Regulatory protection, I think, too, and regulatory protection, absolutely. Yeah um and a lot of them so then this kind of gets into again like so in uh as a senator uh kamala co-sponsored SESTA-FOSTA, and this comes up a lot when we're talking about sex work and I, I don't know how if a lot of people know what that actually means um the the law amended section 230 of the 1996 communications decency act um it's the safe harbor clause it up until up until uh was passed in 2018 it was signed into law by trump um mm. the clause gave websites full protection from liability for content they hosted um mm. under the new law the owner of any websites that quote-unquote promote or facilitate the prostitution of another person uh can face up to 10 years in prison obviously that covers uh sex traffickers It also covers anyone who advertises sexual services online, which means that uh, the owner of any website like Backpage um, that hosted any kind of sex work advertisements could be put in prison for up to 10 years. So they're not going to sponsor that anymore or make it accessible? No, absolutely. Um, Uh, And so a few months later, in September of 2018, um, this is a, I'm I'm quoting uh, from a, a Piece on Filter magazine called Presidential Hopeful Kamala Harris Has Made Sex Workers' Lives More Dangerous. This is a quote from the article. Um, in September 2018, Filter published an extensive report on this issue by reporter, sex worker, and advocate Katie Simon. Interviewing numerous sex workers across the United States, Simon established how the closure of Backpage and Sesta exposed sex workers particularly those who use drugs to increase client violence and pressure to cross boundaries, overdose risk, law enforcement persecution, and poverty. She characterized legislation as an economic assault on the disadvantaged. So -hmm. the problem with the closure of Backpage is that it took a lot of power out of the hands of uh, sex workers because, again, before they were able to self-advertise, they were able to vet uh, potential clientele. And track Uh, them. Like, Absolutely. What, I mean, I think that
0: with Ellie all the time, that I want to know where she is because there's no official anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if if you and I were to, I don't know, hi, if I were to hire myself out to go do carpentry, like redo somebody's dresser, sure. and I did it through like
1: Craigslist or like something, Rabbit or whatever it is that sure you know, Task an app.
0: Rabbit, yeah, whatever. Um, you know who you're going to. Um, Sometimes, like you and I have screenshotted
1: our Lyft drivers and sent them to each other. Oh yeah, I mean we've sent each other information on dates yeah. we're going on, so yeah. that we know where we are and like, like oh, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna start here and then move to a different location because right. we're worried about exactly.
0: I mean being put in it, danger. It's such a a female thing in general, but certainly for something of this nature, the risks Mm -hmm. are so high. And especially if people who are posing whatever danger is hypothetically there and often does arise Mm -hmm. know that it is so difficult to track them and to prosecute them. The one thing that I will say about SESTA-FOSTA and then just these sort of laws in general, kind of a disconnect between... The legal community, I would say, uh, especially, like, the law enforcement side, so the prosecutorial side of the legal community. Uh, So there was a piece of SESTA-FOSTA that allowed victims to receive restitution from traffickers um, for the value of their work that they performed and for whatever losses, be it emotional, whatever damages, um, even if their work was deemed illegal— in court, So that's a really unusual thing mm-hmm. to allow somebody to recover for what is like a quote-unquote illegal contract. Um, and I think it's a really good idea because that's the kind of idea that you could see if sex work were decriminalized, you allow sex workers to recover from people who victimized them in a way that was not agreed upon in sure. whatever way. So there were elements of the drafting of the law that were intended for... For positive things, and I actually could be, I think, tooled towards that in the long run. Except that, it mm-hmm. that I I don't think people would be comfortable capitalizing on that if the work is illegal, even if it says that in the text. Yeah. Um, and then the the other thing that's kind of an expansion of this is that so many people, like my coworker who was an ADA who, who work in sex crimes, the view that they have of sex work is so. Um, So much the abusive side. It's not the consensual, you're not seeing the no issue sort of interactions. So I think when you hear, um, and not to excuse it, and obviously like always encouraging growth and rhetoric and not saying that this makes it any better, but I do think just having heard some people talk about the cases that they've seen, their exposure to sex work is the people who are victimizing. Um, either sex workers who went into it consensually, but then, you know, there was no tracking and no protection, so they were abused, Um, or people who were trafficked and and what the law intended to target. So when I hear that kind of nasty language, I do think that the lens that a lot of legislators and lawyers are seeing it through is different, and Mm -hmm. it's probably, like, when you talk about that Kamala quote of, pimps and prostitutes coming into new york the prostitutes piece you can't excuse it like there's i don't know what that was about it's bad but the pimps piece i can imagine this is a prosecutor who's seen a lot of really really shitty abusive people breaking the law Mm. and so that's kind of a i don't know just to keep in mind as a lens that we're all seeing different angles of this
1: no, absolutely. Um, one thing that I want to uh, com- so I'm just going to uh, want to add this one extra quote on here and then I want to talk about something you mentioned. Um, the in the same article by filter mag, uh, the there's this quote that says another sex worker interview, D said that people they know were getting quote-unquote contacted by pimps and abusers more hmm. because they knew that we are desperate meaning sex workers were more oh, desperate God. because they no longer had access to back Backpage which gave them more agency Um, So they know we were more desperate Due to the elimination of sites like Craigslist And Backpage uh, That allowed sex workers to self-advertise The closure of Backpage forced Sex workers onto the streets and into other Unsafe circumstances because they no longer Had access to this site that allow this autonomy. And it was uh, a
0: lot less expensive. I mean that's what I was talking about with Allie. she said something like to take out an, an ad on backpage was three dollars and the sites that she has to find now are like three hundred for different locations.
1: And so, again, that goes yeah. back to uh, the the quote from Katie Simon of "This is an economic assault on, this, on yeah. the disadvantaged." Mm-hmm. It it is absolutely putting sex workers, especially sex workers who don't have access to uh, any kind of safety net or extra funds, which we know they right. a lot of a lot of people don't. Um, it it puts them in a terrible position where they have to choose between livelihood and safety.
0: Well, and that's uh, uh, out of your pocket up front. So think. Just for example, like Ali, she's worked when she's come to visit me in New York and hung out with us, and so she'll take out a $300 ad for this location. To break even, she has to make $300, just to break yeah. even. Uh, so yeah,
1: you're taking any that gig out of worker, the pocket. Any yeah. gig worker knows what overhead is yes, like. Yes, exactly. Like, like, anyone who has to um, do any to kind nothing. of work like this in, in a gig economy understands that, like, you have to make up your overhead yep. and that's what th- this this Hold law by in effect expanded sex workers overhead and yeah. it's just like and that's and the it's most one of those things where it's effect like the and what makes me mad about this is that sex workers ran this flag up the up the pole they mm. they were saying this is going to be bad
0: or this is consulted. going to hurt us
1: yeah and no one listens to them. And we've
0: talked about that with a lot of legislation. I think it mm-hmm. came up with um, maybe opioids, when we talked about opioids, um, mm-hmm. that a lot of times there will be these like legislative headline, knee-jerk sort of things that I want to get reelected and we want to fix this problem quickly. And so they'll pass some legislation that's hastily drafted without consulting experts, and especially in this kind of case where... The experts are sex workers. Who like? Who wants to watch a congressional hearing with them?
1: Because both sides damn them. Yeah. So it, it's it's yeah they have no allies anywhere, yeah. and that's like it's this it's this uh and this is again like why I felt like it was so important to do this episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because their concerns are being swept under the rug yeah. because our society is just completely refuses to protect sex workers and this is something that i actually like you mentioned how um you know you there's this fear uh when we talk about loved ones who are sex workers or people you know acquaintances who are sex workers people who we care about who who we want to be safe Mm -hmm. and then you mentioned um you know this is you know you and i worry about this when we're going on dates or when we're you know going out late at night when we're going partying or whatever but then you said you actually said something that i wanted to note which is like when you're a sex worker it's quote unquote much higher risk and there is this um we have to remember that our society's insistence on legislating morality and the, the deep-rooted misogyny and the deep-rooted mm-hmm. anti-sex work uh, mentality that our country has is this, this weird thing about like women uh, especially uh, not again not not to dismiss non-binary or, or male sex right. workers but women especially owning owning sex and yeah um that has real life consequences because Our culture sees sex work as illegitimate and sex workers as victims at best and criminals at worst. And so abusers and murderers can prey on them Mm -hmm. because they know police won't take their cases as seriously and society will view their mistreatment or death as products of them choosing a quote-unquote high-risk lifestyle. And the only reason, and this is something I really want to emphasize, the only reason why sex work is high-risk is because our society refuses to respect or protect sex workers. If we and women honestly at large. If we legitimized sex work, if we acknowledge that sex work was work, if we decriminalized completely sex work and we allowed sex workers to operate without fear of being prosecuted, mm-hmm. it would be a lot less high risk. And so the right. only reason why it's not it's like the that is a feeling of society that sex work is a high risk career to be involved in is because we refuse to see them as legitimate workers
0: and I think we've talked about this a lot of times with different topics that like is the fix in law or culture and this is one where I honestly think either one would feed the other positively so if we were to decriminalize sex work and make it a less demonized less like fringe, lascivious, weird thing that would help with, uh, cultural sexism. And if we were to help eliminate cultural sexism, it would help sex workers be more safe and that to be more legitimate. So like both, the fix is in both and they both are helpful. Um, unfortunately we don't have either one happening. The one thing that I would say about solution and and we'll wrap this up for today and get more into like sex work specific next time, but since this is in the lens of Kamala as a pick for VP, um, going forward, she did co-sponsor this bill. Um, I would say that this was in the senatorial context, and so obviously it's like federal legislative realm. Um, That's where the fix is right now. So it would have to be focusing on your senators, focusing on advocating for the repeal or not renewing that i don't know if it has a lifespan but mm-hmm. um that's where the focus should be even though it does reflect on kamala uh, in terms of her sponsoring it i would say that i always try to walk a tough line and maybe i don't always do it well who knows but where do you demonize growth and where like, where do you put the focus if somebody had poor views in the past and they're getting better? She has been better recently. Obviously, she has an incentive, but that's not going to go away. Yeah. So um, I
1: think there's one a big incentive say, to be progressive So now. actually, and this, yeah, this is kind of a good place to end it, is, like, one thing I will say is, like, so the, her, the way her views have changed is that she now supports the Nordic model of decriminalization, which is also called the, the quote-unquote, end-demand uh, model of, of uh, decriminalizing mm. sex work, which is still... That's a little weirdly rhetorical in and of weirdly anti-sex and work, yeah, because it, it's the, the the end goal is still to um, to uh, compl- like obliterate sex work in a way. So it's like you're you're ending demand by uh, you're still going to prosecute clients, anyone who buys uh, sex. You're still going to prosecute them. You're just not going to prosecute sex workers themselves. What that functionally means is that um, sex workers still have a really hard time operating legitimately. Uh, and by their clients, I mean, then,
0: are not right.
1: there. Right, yeah, under... Yeah. We, they, they, have a, they have a difficult time, I, I'll, I'll say, operating freely. Because, yeah, their clients are still at risk for being prosecuted. In a weird um, way,
0: it's nanny state, right? Because if... Yeah. It, 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 and also, it's like... It's still telling in,
1: women that they sh- don't have agency over their uh, sexuality or their bodies, and, and also, they shouldn't be able to decide this for themselves.
0: It's a weird way of fixing a sexist society, because on the one hand, it's like, yes, a lot of times um, clients are weird at best and so you can see I wish it were more for the conduct and this is like an ideal world sort of thing because I could see a lot of reasons to criminalize specific conduct of clients and in that realm but you could that get protection a lot of protection
1: would be but, more yeah, available to people in a world where it was completely decriminalized so actually yeah. really quick I want to I want to uh I actually um asked some of on Instagram I asked um people who follow me i know that i have some sex workers who follow me um and i'm very grateful that they are always uh down to chip in their um their input um the responses i got i asked the question was what steps could we tangibly take in policy and culture to improve quality of life for sex workers and make your job safer uh and one thing that someone said if we could work and advertise more and open we'd be safer Backpage wasn't that bad another said Complete decriminalization of all forms of sex work for consenting adults, 18 plus. Another uh, wonderful uh, person who I actually have been meaning to shout out for a while because she has done, she's been she's consulted with me a couple times for uh, sex work stuff on this podcast, and I really appreciate it. Foxy Mulder <laughs> on Instagram. I know it's kind of funny because we have the Mulder's right? Scully totally <laughs> joke, but her, yeah, Foxy Mulder on Instagram. Uh, Lila Rain is her is her name, and she is, has been really helpful to me, just has talked to me, talked me through some things um, when it comes down to like sex work policy. Shout out to you, Lila, thank you so much. Um, but she actually mentioned the Earn It Act, which I think that we were gonna uh, address in, a, in a, another episode. But when you actually talk to, my, my point being, when you actually talk to sex workers, what they want is complete decriminalization, not the Nordic model. A lot of them do not, uh, do not support the Nordic model. And I think that in this Situation we should Be listening and it is in most situations We should be listening to the people who the laws actually Affect Yeah. and so um, Yeah I support complete decriminalization um, I do too I think, uh, Yeah. I think in an absolutely. ideal sense um,
0: And then of course I'll come in With the practicality of how do we get there But we'll, we'll get to that in a more Existential way next week For now we will bid Adieu to Kamala At least in the sense of of her policy issues, and I'm sure we didn't touch on everything, but I think it covers a lot of the conceptual models mm-hmm. of criticism. Problems, yeah. yeah, and you know,
1: yeah, and again, I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. So actually, I do want to one really quickly. Um, the the reason like that I kind of mentioned at the beginning why I don't, why I will still bring up criticisms I have even though again they won't be as hyper focused as this they will not use as much time as this the response to any criticism of kamala or biden from the left uh among sort of moderate democrats has been that well the alternative is worse which we know is true so and and therefore we can criticize them once they get into office yeah and And that's kind of my take yeah, and I understand what we are facing in this election. I understand yeah. so the it's like, what's your end goal with
0: saying what, when is kind of my right idea. And I don't even consider myself moderate. I think I'm, I'm pretty left of center in terms of what my goals are. But it's like, what, what is the end goal in, in levying that criticism and giving it energy and voice now? Yeah. And that's and what I, I
1: worry about. What I will say about that is this. Right now, our vote is our leverage. So, telling people, mm. we're gonna, you know, vote blue no matter who, but then once they're in office, you can criticize them all you want. They don't to care. To me, much is then. not necessarily as helpful because even sure. if you have every intention of marching to the polls in November and voting Biden Kamala, even if you have every intention of voting for the Democrats in November, your vote is your leverage right now. So, use it encourage to push sure the candidates in issues you care about the entire summer we've had people who have identified problems with the carceral system with the prison system with the with police out yeah, protesting. the timing is funny yeah yeah <laughs> and so i don't think we can ask them to be thrilled to yeah. vote for a former prosecutor who has sure. had in my opinion regressive policy who sure. supported regressive policy in the past. And I don't think we can ask sex workers to be thrilled about voting for someone who has promoted and supported policies that have hurt them in the past. So even though we can say, even though we can understand the framework in which this conversation is happening and the election that we're facing come November, I think that we need to give people room to voice their grievances and then also, on the other hand, use their votes as leverage. Use your vote. That is your power Use your vote yeah. as leverage to push the candidates Who are closest to your opinion or who, who you think will be most likely to hear it Which for a lot of people are gonna, Is going to be Biden-Kamala They're mm-hmm. going to be closest And Angela Davis is voting for Biden Angela Davis
0: has mm-hmm. said
1: publicly That she is voting for Biden So well, a lot of folks have I, A I lot mean... of folks have come out in, in support of him So what, what all I am saying is that If your vote is your leverage Use it to push them and I would say
0: the caveat I would put on it is is Tailor your criticisms and tailor your, your audience mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we all can kind of work on and, and design in our own heads But, like, who are we saying it to? Are we saying it to people who are undecided? And how are we saying it? Is it unforgivable? Or is yeah. it something that we want progress on in this way? Yeah um, That sort of thing And and then I the other thing I would stress is that voting for biden and obviously god i have issues with with him as well we could do a whole episode on um anita hill and yeah. his involvement there or or
1: like the height of the amendment. 1994 crime bill yeah. we, we yeah, referenced it I, in the past i'm so sure it will come up again in the future he, there talked, are t- he also has a terrible with history with criminal top reform. of the
0: ticket yeah yeah but um I, we'll get into it next week we'll wrap it up and um so if you want to uh, hang out with our faces online you can find me on Instagram at MKZ Joy Brennan and you can find me on Twitter when I go on there
1: at get me to a nunnery but with the number 2. All right, Brooke. Or you can you can find me online. Um, you Dig can find me hole. on uh, Instagram at Brooke Angeline. You can find me on Twitter at BKE Rogers. Oh, and you can find um, both of us
0: on our website exceedinglypersuasive.com. Thank you guys for tuning
1: in. Uh DM us. I don't know. Yeah, kiss us I don't on know. the internet face. Do, okay. Do stuff. Whatever, all right. Love you, we bye. Got, we gotta go. All right. Ready?
0: End one, ending recording at one, no, two, oh three.
1: I'm gonna look out for, is no, Woo! This is upsetting for me. You I'm gonna need that. to go drink some more.